Good evening, everyone. <laughs> All right, everybody. This is episode 37 of the Beef and Bitcoin podcast with your host, Brett and CH. Good show for you today. It is Friday afternoon. Had an interesting day in the uh, equity markets. Bitcoin's been moving around a little bit as well. And uh, it seems like a ton of news happened today. There were some issues with the exchanges. Amazon Web Service was having a few problems. We'll talk about that. A few people got super lucky. Um, you know, we got the, the trade war going full steam ahead. And it looks like uh, our good friends at the um, the Central Bank of England, is that right? Yeah, looks like the, Bank uh, of England. The yeah, Bank, yeah, Bank of England. It looks like they're, um, they want to jump in to jump into the ring and issue a virtual reserve currency with other central banks. So FedCoin, so to speak, yeah. except without the Federal Reserve. So um, yeah, a lot of great topics to cover today. But other than that, what's going on today? Not much. I mean, as you said, there is a lot of stuff going on right now. And I think the reality is, is all the people, especially like the higher, oh, actually higher ups, the the politicians, the big bankers, all talk shit about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in 2017, 2016, and before are eating their words now as they all explore di- different digital currency you know, options. Uh, and we're seeing more and more of it now. Um, obviously, this BOE thing's huge. And we'll jump into that later, but I think we're just going to jump into the squawk box. Our boy Joe, Joe, uh, Joe, Joe, Joe. Woke Joe, Joe Kernan. This dude, if you get to watch CNBC, he's a good to watch. I really like what he has to say a lot of times. Um, you know, he sets what's on his mind, doesn't really care. Uh, I'm going to play this, and anyone listening should be able to hear it play. Is Where it just, are you on uh, Libra? I have never understood it. I, I don't like it one bit. I don't like it because it's centralized. I don't like it because it's Facebook. I don't like it because it's, uh, you know, everybody gets to keep the float. I don't like it because it's like a debit card. I don't like it because it doesn't have any inherent value. I don't Sam like I it because it's yeah. not, I don't like anything about it. Nothing. I'm not, I don't think it's that problem. Well, you get yourself I, a PayPal or a Venmo or something. I think it's, it's like a, a stable coin. Is it, that, that's all it is. It's a stable coin. And by the way, in certain places, it should actually be very helpful. The, underbanked the, places. Underbanked yeah. places. The thing that's so exciting The ability about. to transfer money across across borders. Think about I, think I, about I the Uber driver who wants to send money back home to some other country, who now is typically going to Western Union and spending a fortune. I mean, that's, you what, that's where the you haven't that's caught the, the opportunity. You haven't caught the bug. You haven't caught the bug that it's based on a fiat currency, so it solves nothing. <laughs> It solves nothing except you get. Depends on what they're trying to solve. If they just if want you Facebook want to go, in the middle of the payment, it and, and it also there's people take, and it, well, and also there's people taking it. You think they're doing this out of the goodness of their heart? There's people taking a cut. There's an intermediary. It's not decentralized. 100%. Mark Zuckerberg's going to steal all your private data and know all about your bank account now. Look, if the if the fees are materially lower than what the bank. How about zero is, fees? If Here's one for you. The Western Union is yeah. up 28 percent year to date. So there's there the the the, the pair trade there is not working right. The, the, the Facebook Western Union pair trade not yeah. working. <laughs> At least the short. Exactly. There, there's something called unforgeable value. Right. Antiques, gold, yep. things that you can't duplicate. I thought people were and saying And that's how now, Bitcoin is different than than Libra. My, I, mean, my guy, I never my said Bitcoin, Bitcoin was like there, Libra. Well, there's some wait for Bitcoin are, to become. What, have you talked about how there's apparently they, they've now established that Bitcoin can be hacked? Not not well, how it will or whether it will, but just that it can be. And you that's, mean the the 
There's something making the, the I don't know. I don't follow the blockchain that can be. So I'm told from my Bitcoin guy that they're all paying attention to this. So what did he, did he sell everything or something? <laughs> I don't think he owns it in the first place. Oh, so maybe just yeah. researcher. Yeah, so Joe goes in that video and he's a pretty staunch defender of crypto or Bitcoin, I'd say. Um, and he does a pretty good job saying it because the other guy, Andrew Sorkin, basically says, you know, oh, it'd be great for people to use, you know, Libra for cross-border transactions instead of Western Union. But like, Facebook, I mean, at this point, if you trust Facebook, you're just stupid. I'm just going to put it out there flat. Like, Facebook has stolen everyone's shit, their identities, released it, you know, through the Cambridge Analytica scandal, like, over, it was a year ago about. Um, yep. It's, you know, you can't trust Facebook. You literally can't. Anyone, and, like, obviously, most of us are guilty of giving them, a, a, you know, giving them our information. But, like, honestly, f fuck Facebook and part of my language, but really, I, like, there's a lot of there's not many companies I want to see burn, but that's definitely one of them. I just want to see them burn and like the Libra for the love of God, stay away from that thing. That is, you know, as Joe was saying on this, and I'm sure you heard earlier, Ch, he basically says there's there's a middleman taking a pay cut here, and also why would you want to give Mark Zuckerberg all your banking information? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Right, and what I love about Joe being so hardline about a lot of this stuff is you are seeing him kind of go through that progression of <laughs> becoming a Bitcoiner and being able to like knock down a lot of the FUD and all of the reasoning behind um, why something like Libra isn't such a good idea, right? He's talking about centralization. He's talking about giving up a lot of your information. He's talking about the middleman. He's, you know, saying how it doesn't have any, you know, inherent value to it. Um, cause it's not really solving any other problems. And it's, he, he, like, he sounds like me probably like a year ago trying to, you know, <laughs> to defend Bitcoin. And it is, it is really awesome to see. And you can see that he's not easily shaken or rattled by uh, as, no, he doesn't uh, take I, shit. I like, I don't know what, I don't know what her name is there, but <laughs> she was pretty much like, oh, you know, my Bitcoin guy just told me that it can get hacked. And he was like, what are you even what are you even talking about? Yeah. And and she's literally just parroting someone who and doesn't, even own right, doesn't even own any is like, oh, no, don't worry. It can it can be hacked. So, you know, these are the kinds of things where, you know, um, just the majority of people have no clue what they're talking about. And you're seeing these people on TV and the average person is like, Oh, I trust that person. They're on, they're on the magic television. You know, they could never lie to me or never. tell me it, it, like it just gets more and more ridiculous. And Bitcoin actually helped open my eyes to more of that, that fake news or not even fake news at this point, just like understanding who like, yeah, understanding who knows what they're actually talking about with a lot of this stuff. And fucking woke Joe um, has definitely jumped down the rabbit hole and I've seen him say other things that I've I, I know the people who said those exact quotes and he's like parroting them exactly word for word and it's it's just so awesome to see him you know he's definitely spending a few nights jumping down the rabbit hole reading medium articles and other and other shit and listening to podcasts saying things like you know Bitcoin is exponential technology built on exponential technology and stuff like that so it's uh it is pretty cool to to see that yeah i mean i, I still can't get over this chart i mean it to most average people don't look at charts but this is like 
to think of where we came from in December and just went, and it's not like a big deal to most people, that just shows you how to touch most of the mainstream is. Right. And I mean, like, I guess it's becoming mainstream-ish again, but also there's, there isn't that excitement in the air yet. It's, no, it's really it's not, not there. there dude. It's not there. No, and I it's can, nothing I can... compares to what was going on. Even like in early 2017, like in May or June, like nothing compares to that. But obviously it got much worse in the fall of 2017, but nothing sure. compares to the hype and the, the enthusiasm, the engagement, you know. Yeah. And, and, and we're not even, we're not even close to it yet. No. Um, you want to jump in this Amazon cloud issue? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah, definitely. So I didn't even know this. Uh, CH kind of told me about this a little bit ago. Basically, uh, problems with Amazon's cloud service, AWS, uh, are disrupting services at some crypto exchanges. And then the Binance exchange is seeing problems internationally, according to its CEO, CZ, or Sheng Peng Zhao, if I said that even closely correct. And basically, he tweeted, AWS is having an issue mostly with caching services affecting some users globally. We are working with them and monitoring the situation closely. It's causing some 500 error message on the APIs and affecting some withdrawal process. Uh, KuCoin said it was having issues with AWS Tokyo hosted services. But one of the most interesting things was, um, and you mentioned this to me, people were able to buy Bitcoin for under a dollar on certain exchanges. And like, there's a screenshot in a telegram of BitMax's official telegram channel and and the bitcoin usdt pair which is tethers uh us dollar tether um there's like two orders for bitcoin that show 35 cents and 32 cents someone bought 45 bitcoin at 32 cents someone bought 35 at or three bitcoin at um 35 cents so that's pretty interesting and then there's a chart from the sit sit x exchange order book that shows like the candle that you know popped all the way down to as low as 32 cents, which is pretty crazy. That's all I have to say. I mean, as we were talking about before, someone just made life-changing money and like whoever bought 45 Bitcoin at 32 cents made life-changing money in seconds. Literally seconds. Yeah. You can see the other orders um, three seconds later going for 10,100. Yeah, I mean, that's what we were, we were just talking about before we started uh, recording. That is such a game changer such a game changer to go up 45 bitcoin um you know randomly like that it's pure luck but it also brings up another topic that these exchanges are highly susceptible to other infrastructure going on right so you know amazon web services was having an issue a ton of exchanges today had issues, right? You know, Bitmax definitely. Yo, do you want to know? You, you want to know the swing of that? Do you want to know the yeah. swing? So it's insane. It cost fourteen dollars to buy that, and uh, looking if I just use the price of ten thousand four hundred, which Bitcoin was just at, it so fourteen dollars to four hundred and sixty nine thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> it's that is such a game changer, but you know I. It proves a good point that there's still a ton of infrastructure issues with um, with exchanges and and trading trading Bitcoin. It is not, you know, a enterprise grade bulletproof um, trading software that people are using. You know, the professional traders, right, that are dealing with legitimate exchanges. And I think it's a problem that's still being worked out. And it'll be cool to see if things like 
backed. Um, and you know, even CME for that matter, just the, the difference in the quality of the exchange and as they start to improve over time, you know, you always do a good job of mentioning like slippage and things like that. And, and, you know, maybe thin order books across exchanges. Um, a lot of that stuff is going to be worked out, but you can, you can see when it's something like this, that, uh, it's still so early, you know, Bitcoin and trading, trading Bitcoin is not a mature industry at all, but you, you're, you're living, you're going to live that transition. You know, people, it it will be crazy in a couple of years to hear like, oh yeah, you know, I used to, used to only be able to withdraw on chain or something, you know, maybe we're using lightning or a different scaling solution years from now to withdraw and sending to exchanges back and forth. You're not waiting, you know, 20 minutes to send from one exchange to the other, just a lot of different things will, will happen. But it, it just goes to show the immaturity of a lot of these uh, exchanges for the time being. Yeah, it's when we're, it's early and it's not early. Bitcoin's been around for right. over a decade. But in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's a, it'd be like the internet in 2003, you know. Sure, it'd been around and the internet bubble had popped. But think about all the things that came after that. You know, like Facebook, Snapchat, Pinterest, you name it, MySpace. You can just list a bunch of other things too. There's so many things. Square. I mean, you could, I can keep, the list keeps going on. Um, you know, so it's just one of those things. Yeah, sure. It's not as early as it used to be. You know, uh, that's a dumb thing to say, but um, it's still early in the, in the grand scheme of things. It's a 10 year old right. industry. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to, I mean, it's crazy. It's a 10 year old industry and we're talking about, a market from zero market cap to 150 billion also. So in 10 years, that, that's pretty, that's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and it's probably a pretty good way to transition into what we've seen the last two years, especially, um, you know, prior to 2017, for the most part, Bitcoin and crypto was um, shamed by most political figures, big bank names, etc. cetera. Um, and the bank of England's Carney and you know, the Mark Carney, Governor Mark Carney, excuse me, uh, is basically stating that the U.S. dollar is destabilizing the role in the world economy on Friday and said central banks might need to join together to create their own replacement reserve currency. Um, and I put something like on one of my stories, like hashtag Bitcoin or something like, you know, it's, uh, but it's, it's one of those interesting things. And basically the, the dollar is just, no matter what, oh, let's see if we can pull up the dollar index. Um, it has been crushing everything else. Um, where we go, DXY. So I want to get I'm dumped a little bit, but um, relative to the past in like 2014, I mean it's up a lot. Even in 2011, shit. Um, and obviously it's not as high as it used to be, but still, um, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. You know, forward, um, if we get a dollar breakout, strong dollars, very bad for um, emerging markets. And for other countries, you know, obviously, like we've seen with the U, uh, you, the Chinese yuan got crushed and went over seven for the first time ever. Um, that was a big deal. And yeah, I think I think this is an interesting topic. Um, one for one of the reasons you brought up is that you know they were shitting on on Bitcoin and virtual currency just as a as an idea in general, and now and now we're here, right? Yeah, we um, came at, a long way in two years. Yeah, like we're we're at the point where 
it's becoming increasingly convincing that the U.S. dollar won't be the reserve currency in the foreseeable future. It's hard to put a timeline on that. You know, I'm so fucking bullish on Bitcoin. I'm it could maybe for 10 more years. Who knows? Maybe it'll take 20 or 30 more years. Yeah. But you have a number of different individuals across the globe, powerful people who are preparing for that transition of not having the US dollar as the reserve currency. And what would you say basically, you know, as the reserve currency use um, like the petrodollar, it's used for, you know, trading oil. Um, You could start to see a different base currency and nobody has a clue what the new base currency would be. Um, And it looks like from, from reading this all of a sudden, you know, now a virtual currency that is um, created by a a group of central banks that would essentially replace the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency, and that's really interesting to see just all of that unfold. And I'm, you know, it's of course it's not going to happen overnight, if at all. It, it, it might not, but the fact that they're thinking about it, or even mentioning that they are thinking about it, and that the U.S. dollar. Um, may not be the world reserve currency is it's humongous because now you're going to, you know, woke Joe is going to talk about this next week for sure. Uh. <laughs> yeah. It's going to next week can be interesting to say the least. Um, if this whole weekend, just waiting, watch the news headlines, see if we get any kind of solution here to this whole trade deal. Cause it's not, um, in the macro sense for the markets, it's not obviously a good thing. The, uh, I think the Asian markets were already closed. It didn't matter. The U.S. was the only one left open, really. And I don't know if the European was still open when the China announced tariffs on top of Paul's speech, too. Kind of jacked the markets around today. I'm going to maybe, you know, zoom in here. Try. To... Yeah, I'm on the weekly. It doesn't look too pretty here, but and I think today we went down almost 3% at one point on the S&P. NASDAQ Composite was down over 3%. Dow Jones is down over 2.5% at some points. Um but yeah, it was a pretty bad day. I'm gonna zoom in just to show you. Like we dumped hard on the tariff announcements this morning. Like this is five minute candles, and the Powell speech kind of saved the market because I think we we gapped down, and Powell spoke this morning. We filled the gap, and then boom. You know, uh, I think it was pretty funny though. The last five minutes or so of trading, we rallied like 0.4 percent, which is pretty big, but still didn't really make up for a really crappy day. I mean, it literally just the whole day down. Yeah, and it's it's difficult because I, every time we record on a Friday, we always say, well, we can't wait for next week to see what happens because it's all that time goes by over the weekend where yeah. at one point I remember, it feels like a couple of weeks ago or months ago as Bitcoin was, you know, starting its ascension um, it was, it was like, it was like every, every weekend it was pumping and then like you were waiting for Monday and, yeah. and you know, CME shorts were going to get wrecked at the oh. open on Monday morning or Sunday night. And like, eh, I, you know, it, it's hard to tell what's going to happen over the weekend, but with all this interesting macro news on a Friday and then you have all weekend of who knows what's going to be said, tweeted, um, it, you know, more more data coming out. You, you really just never know. And then, you know, you have Bitcoin that's trading 24-7. That can do whatever it wants over the weekend too, yeah. which could have influence to, you know, Monday morning or Sunday night. 
Um, and that's just where it it's really getting interesting. I know we probably say the same thing every single week, but um, you know, it's another Friday into a Monday and another big, another down day for equities um, and, and bonds. I know you wanted to touch on that for just a second. Bonds have been, going absolutely insane and, and we did touch on that last week slightly but yeah, i don't we know if you want to talk to it, it for six, a sec yeah so global the sovereign debt of um what was it 16 trillion for global sovereign debt. over 16 trillion now is negative yielding uh and now here paranoid bull always posting good stuff this chart was originally posted by dave b column followed david b column and also followed paranoid bull if you're on twitter they're very good always good content um but anyways here Total negative yielding corporate bonds outstanding. And I shit you not, and I, I don't mean to say it, it went from twenty billion on January twelfth, twenty nineteen to one point zero eight nine trillion um as of August thirteenth. So it was like a fifty X in the span of eight months, which is incredible. I mean it's just going and we're that's why we're seeing bonds, the price of bonds just rip people's face off. Because each person's buying and handing off to the next, you know, um, what is it? What's the correct uh, term? Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm thinking of. The greater fool. The, the greater, greater fool, fool. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So it, this is the greater fool theory right here in essence. People are buying, like there's um, there's a pretty good chart I saw a while ago of like the Australian, you know, long-term bond where it's just going, all these bonds are going parabolic in price. Um, people are bu- buying them up crazily. But uh, it's... Yeah. And it's, it's funny because... It's like there's a few people sounding the alarm, not many. Um, And if this were if you were looking at this as a let's say a big being. Yeah. If you were if you were sane and, and, you know, you saw these vertical parabolic moves in Bitcoin in 2017. And like, of course, I was like thrilled and ecstatic. But when I'm seeing that in the bond market, it makes me really uneasy that like it's like, all right, well, how how long can this go on? Because. Um, as much as I guess you could use the greater fool theory or Ponzi scheme argument for Bitcoin as you know, you're hoping to just pass it off to the next sucker for more than you paid for it. Uh, that's clearly happening in bonds and, you know, negative yielding corporate debt, which is really like, I, I, that doesn't even click with me, negative yielding corporate debt and why yeah. there's so much of it anyway, you, you know, there's it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't really make any sense, and you hear people trying to make justifications for it, like, "Oh, you know, now it's all of a sudden a part of your diverse portfolio, which is bullshit." It's bull, you know, it's bullshit. You're losing money on purpose, knowingly, knowingly going losing in. money on purpose. It's it's like right. you're already losing money. You're already losing money in cash. Why would you? Why would you buy a negative yielding bond? Why would you lose more money on top of inflation? It makes no sense. Um, and you would only do that if you knew you could sell it to somebody else for more, right? Exactly. So then that's where They're you get that. They're willing to lose the, you know, a little bit of yield to sell the bond for, you know, 15, 20, sometimes even 100% higher. I mean, considering how much the negative yielding, you know, it's went parabolic here. I mean, it's incredible. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, hindsight's going to be twenty twenty with that. I'm sure people are going to put out really fire threads on what happens after this I don't I don't even know you know because you know it could collapse or it could just completely go parabolic to the point where that it just doesn't even make sense anymore uh, there's gonna be some fire threads about what happens after the fact a little postmortem that we're gonna probably go through whenever that happens but 
I like I can't even predict how it yeah, how I, it ends. Like end. is this is this the middle? Is it the beginning? Is it or is it gonna pop next week? You know, you really yeah, we, can't tell with, with with these things that are just going parabolic like that. And then you look at the chart of like the German mark and it was going parabolic and then boom, all of a sudden everyone realizes it was hyperinflation and it's over. Uh and you know, I know you're reading into that on when money dies. Um I finished that a little bit ago. It's a good book. It's you know. Um, it's just one of those things where it's like you realize that a lot of the, the average person, just the financial literacy, same with back then and same with today, isn't that high. And that's obviously mostly to blame in the public schooling system. And, you know, you have to be curious and like CH and I have been just diving down this money financial right. rabbit hole for I've been doing it for a couple of years. But Bitcoin really, really opened me up even more about two and a half years ago, you know, or so. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, it's it's absolutely incredible. Once you kind of go down that rabbit hole, it's hard to look at everything as normal again. Right, right, and and that's probably our favorite topic, which is malinvestment in general. So when you think about malinvestment with negative rates, what you're saying is there's going to be so much malinvestment because now you can use the marshmallow example. Would you prefer two marshmallows today or one tomorrow? That's literally what oh, negative interest rates. Yeah, question. I mean, that, that's literally what negative interest rates are like. So you're getting paid to borrow. So, I mean, you don't, you're not going to do your due diligence on what you're using that, that borrowed money for as an investment, right? You're, you're just going to willy nilly, well, it doesn't matter. You're getting the money. You're literally getting paid to get the money. You'll just throw it at whatever. And there's just going to be so much more malinvestment if, if that continues for, you know, the years to come, it'll be the same thing. Everything gets pumped up again, and we think we thought we were on the verge of collapse, and the can gets kicked down the road, and it'll just be an even bigger bust the next time around. But um, that's where the manipulation of the interest rates really just fucks everything up. It sucks. Yeah, it was pretty funny uh, earlier today. I was at work, and I had like CNBC on, and my boss was like, "This is, you know, basically this is bullshit." Like two months ago, or you know, they're telling us the economy is the greatest economy ever. And, you know, today, obviously, the market's tanking and the Dow's down, you know, five, over 500 points. And he's like, w which is it, you know? And that's the issue. Most, you know, Americans who aren't really keen on this don't understand, like, and I was, you know, I mentioned him, like, you know, I was like, for the most part, most Americans haven't recovered from the last recession. When, and I don't know if the statistics have been updated, but 69% uh, of Americans have less than $1,000 in a savings account. So when they get out of a job, when the recession hits hard, when they get less hours, less pay, et cetera, what happens and even when you go up into the middle class in america so many people live paycheck to paycheck you know where they don't save money they, you know they live at the very edge of their means as much as they can instead of reducing backwards um you know oh totally and that's something really hard to think about i guess i never really thought about it that the majority of people did not recover from the last recession no. um and you know i i guess it's i was evident in uh, small town america Right, right, and you know, I I, I want to say that's something that I don't see enough to know. Yeah, you know, I, I'm in a I'm in a metropolitan area. Everybody apparently looks like they're doing well, but with that being said, the majority of the people that I see around here probably don't have that much saved up for a rainy day, and that includes um, a lot of the the tech bros or software developers in the San Francisco area that are making a quarter of a million dollar dollars a year. 
but they have a $12,000 mortgage, right? And <laughs> like just really insane stuff. And they're hoping to dump those real estate bags on millennials with no money. A, a lot of things are just out of whack here um, across asset classes and because of asset inflation. Um, it could get messy if those same people do lose their jobs and don't have the same amount of income going forward and they haven't saved shit. So yeah, and that's the, where it starts to unravel. A, there's a really interesting statistic and I didn't notice as much, um, being originally from Detroit because you know, good, you know, auto, auto industry is huge. There's a lot of people driving new cars, but when you get outside of the Christian metropolitan areas, um, in smaller cities and towns, um, cause I saw an interesting statistic. The average age of the, the car on the road in America is continually getting older since the recession. Uh, they, since 2008, 2009. And it's very noticeable when you're not in a, you know, wealthier area or a big city that, you know, a lot of the cars in the world are, t- excuse me, on the road are 10, 12, 13, you know, years or if not older. Like, I think the average car on the American road now is like 11 years old. Um, and obviously that comes with safety issues and whatever. And it's because people just can't afford it. Or, you know, uh, as I've seen in the auto industry, people, you know, buy cars they, they they go to buy a car that they they can't afford and they just get stuck in this payment cycle where they're paying every month and that's all you know and so all their money's going there instead of saving and investing it somewhere else uh and obviously this is going to come back hard on the american people uh, as we see auto loan um that is well past a trillion now and delinquency rates are increasingly getting higher i think the delinquency rates like after 90 days that they don't pay them correctly yeah um, no, yeah, I think we talked about that even months ago that the delinquency rates was, were going up. Yes, and yeah. probably it was probably like Jesse Colombo who had mentioned it because he he's keeping track of all of these different bubbles that have been forming since yeah. the last global financial crisis, and it's it's awesome to watch because he's like he's gone like full prepper mode. I've seen him post before. He's like oh, yeah. people don't understand like this is like the you know. And he's, That's why he calls it the right everything right bubble, right? I mean, it's the everything. It bubble. is literally it is everything. So many different things. Yeah, it's not just you know. And, and, you know, I think one of the interesting, most interesting things for me to watch, I think it'll be one, professional sports, you know, what will happen in the case of a very sharp downturn. I think, you know, you're going to see the crazy salary, you know, the salaries that these, you know, some NFL, NBA, you name it, MLB players get, get cut because there's people going to stop, you know, watching and stop attending games. Um, and it's always funny to me, people bitch about fucking CEO pay, CFO pay, executive pay. And you never hear one person complain about someone getting like a hundred million dollar contract to fucking throw a football or fucking, you know, hit a baseball. You never hear people bitch about that. And how those people aren't doing, I mean, sure. There's some like doing something for the economy. They really aren't, you know, right? No. Yeah. There's entertainment. They're bread and circus as they say. And that's interesting because that's its own, that's that, you know, maybe Jesse should look into this. That's like its own bubble. How many athletes, even in the last 12 to 24 months have been getting like record, record breaking contracts for whether it's a certain position or, you know, getting an an additional 10 years with, you know, 10 million a year, something, just a lot of these like maxed out deals. And I think that totally makes sense in this in this time period that we're living in, um, everything like, uh, a, a professional athlete is an asset to a team and you're willing to throw stupid money at it. Um, with the thought process being, well, I'm going to make that up on the back end with ticket sales, merchandise, whatever. Yeah. Advertising, so, you name it. 
like so so the the cost of i guess that's like your cost of goods sold almost or those professional athletes and all that's really going up because they're they're they would be an asset on your balance sheet i I would assume um so you're you're seeing that inflation in all of these things whether it be real estate prices homes whether it be professional athletes um and I think it will un, just another another piece of the puzzle that you can put together when you're when you're doing your postmortem on whatever happens next and saying, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, I can't believe what's his name got the most ridiculous sports contract in human history uh, at the top of the bubble. You know, I like I, I watch so little sports now. Like occasionally, just ESPN beyond work, but like I only think time at work at the gym, I'll see it. But like I just watch so little sports and follow so little of it because. To be honest, the greatest show in the world is the markets. It really is. Someone there's a quote of that, and it is the greatest show. Nothing tops it. Huh. It's the greatest show because you can you can profit from it. Like you can yeah. you can play. I mean, I guess you can. A lot of people love betting on sports, and you know, I personally don't, but I've had money on a couple of games, and it, it does make things more exciting. And it makes you want to pay attention. Maybe you join a fantasy league or something, but there's there's nothing fantasy about having exposure to the markets mm-hmm. at all. It is it is certainly real. Uh, we talk about it every single week. And the one thing we talked about last episode that I think I forgot to mention here is all of this is happening, and you have you have so many people thinking we're at that tippity top, right? And we don't know what's going to happen next. And this time around. Bitcoin exists and it will be interesting to see whether or not that even makes a difference. If if it's a deflationary recession and markets crash, bonds, you know, crash. Maybe 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 Bitcoin crashes too. Right. And that's I think it's like what, hundred some billion, hundred and fifty? Right. And that's the point. Like is if if it gets absolutely wrecked, another eighty percent drawdown in the event of a deflationary recession. I would completely understand that because it's it's not enough. Not enough people would take a step back and look at themselves and say, I know enough about Bitcoin to put a percentage of my net worth into it in the event of a deflationary recession, like they would with gold. Um, you know, the, the average person might say, oh, gold sounds like a good idea. Things look like it's going to, you know, shit's going to hit the fan. There's not enough people that are going to think to go to Bitcoin. But then you have this other very small group of people who um, think that they do know better. And while, you know, I know enough about Bitcoin to think that it's, you know, regardless if there's a deflationary crash um, and across all markets, that it's going to come back. And, you know, next thing you know, we're back at where we are a couple of months from now, and it'll have been the greatest trade ever. Um, and that is the question on everybody's mind. What happens with Bitcoin in this example? It, and if it's, the off chance that it's an inflationary recession that gets really interesting um with with bitcoin so either way i think we're we're in for a wild ride um and it's it's going to go one way or another yeah it's it's going to be interesting you know and i just want to mention the tariff stuff just so people can hear what happened basically china said they're going to levy uh new tariffs on 75 billion dollars of goods come the fall and shortly, you know, and that obviously made the market dump. President Trump fired back. I'll read his tweet just because it's funny. And this is like, this is also, we are living in the peak of the times. Like the president of the United States is tweeting at all times a day. I, I, I don't even know how he keeps up with it. How is he alive? Like all times a day. You think about it from fucking 7 a.m. to fucking midnight. It, you know, he basically says, 
Sadly, past administrations have allowed China to get so far ahead of fair and balanced trade that it's become a great burden to the American taxpayer. As president, I can no longer allow this to happen. In the spirit of achieving fair trade, we must balance this very unfair trading relationship. China should not have put new tariffs on $75 billion of the United States product. And he puts in parentheses, politically mo- motivated. Exclamation <laughs> point. Um, starting October 1st, the $250 billion of goods and products from China currently being taxed at 25% will be taxed at 30%. Um, there's one or two thoughts running through my mind. We're either going to, they're going to come to some kind of deal here and pump the shit out of the markets. Like if that happens, we're going to see a retarded day in the equity industries, like four or 5%, like we saw on the, uh, what was it? December 26th after the, you know, after Christmas break, the, the day after I sold everything. <laughs> Dude, it's okay. Yeah. Everyone thought the world was ending then. I think everyone yeah, did, yeah. including all the bank CEOs. I mean, literally, when you like, we can go back, and it doesn't like, like when you looked at the chart, like if it wasn't for the Fed caving, like and China pumping a trillion dollars of liquidity into the markets, yeah, we were pretty aft. Like, like no, it looked it looked like the game was over. Like it was like great. No, nah, that's too far. That's too far. There we go. See it. That's yeah, I mean, uh, that's the beginning of 2018. You got to go to the right a little bit more. No, this is. I'm talking about look at the right screen. Though. I'm just showing you. This is what it looked like. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you can, like literally, it just was like, oh great, we're going off in this endless abyss into Christmas, and then we bounced. It really is insane. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think, I think Trump and his team probably has something up their sleeves to. I think that's a lot of his talk and, you know, getting it out. And then they can, you know, play the card that they got a deal or something, you know, the next week and pump the market higher. Um, maybe I'm wrong. If I am, then, well, here we go. Right. Either way, we're going to talk about it next week and hopefully right. get another episode out about it to see yeah. to see if any of our not predictions. But, you know, it's tough to say. It's, it's really tough to say. So if you if you sit back, not even just looking at the charts, if you just think about what's happening with prices, it's been a really volatile year, both up and down. Um, and I guess the same could be said with Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, you everybody can feel that uncertainty, right? Like everybody has a little uncertainty about something. There's there's more job layoffs than people are actually talking about. Um, the markets are really flip floppy. Um, Bitcoin is doing its own thing. You've got trade wars. You've got currency wars. You've got um, bad numbers coming out of China. You have riots and protests in Hong Kong and France. It's there's just a lot going on and. Uh, I, I guess all of it will be obvious in hindsight when people start putting the puzzle pieces together. But now we're it's real time today, so we have to try to put it together while we're just watching it unfold. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's why it's interesting, though. Yeah, I, I just gotta read one thing. Someone said the president just called the Fed. From, this is from a tweet from earlier from Rhythm Trader. The president just called the Federal Reserve an enemy and compared them to an authoritarian regime. This is the most bullish thing I've ever heard of Bitcoin. <laughs> Dude, I love Rhythm Trader. Let's, let's, get, let's get Donald Trump and Rand Paul and Ron Paul on the fucking end the Fed train. And then throw them all on Joe Rogan's podcast. That need, Dude, could you imagine the numbers for the Joe Rogan Trump podcast? You understand? That would be like 100 million views in a day. 
he would just be smiling the entire time. I don't know what he would, Did he? If, uh, you know, like, <laughs> I can't believe you're here to talk to me. And I, 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 I don't know what I would, I don't know what I would think if that actually happened. It would be unbelievable. It'd be incredible. Oh my God. Maybe it's a good way to wrap us up here. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, this was, this was episode 37 of the beef and Bitcoin podcast. Um, Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us for the last couple of weeks. It's been um, pretty volatile. It's been a little stable for Bitcoin. Everybody's waiting for things to happen. But the good news is, is that more news keeps coming out every week. That makes it so exciting to keep watching. Um, you know, if you like listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on YouTube. Leave us a comment. Shoot us a DM. Let us know what you think of the show. If there's any, uh, thank you for a couple people who did reach out about going in depth into a few other topics. So that's going to be on our radar for the next couple of weeks. So please shoot us, shoot us a DM and let let us know if there's anything specific you'd like us to give our take on. We'd be happy to do it. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers.